So we're back. This is part three, John chapter six. We're in the second part of the discourse. And the Jews, the people who are hearing Jesus teach, are objecting. Now, there's been many objections down through the centuries that Jesus cannot be speaking literally. He's speaking symbolically. One reason they would say is, well, let's take Jesus' statement in John chapter 10, I am the door. And in John chapter 15, he'll say, I am the vine. So the question is, doesn't seem like any symbolic language there. He's not saying, I am like a vine, I'm like the door. He says, I am the door. I am a vine. Why is that considered spiritual? And the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, literal. That's a good objection. But if we turn to John chapter 10, which let's do it right now. This is the famous Good Shepherd passage. John chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door. So he's even using the same language, truly, truly, I am the door. So why isn't he speaking literally in that passage? Two reasons. One, verse 6, he says, This figure Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. That's John's commentary. John is saying, This figure... Jesus used, I am the door, it's symbolic. It says it right in the text. He's speaking metaphorically. So that's why we know. Now let's go to John chapter 15, where Jesus says, I am the vine. But again, if you read that chapter, that can't be literally true because Jesus cannot be both a man and a vine at the same time. That's a contradiction. Two material things cannot literally be the same thing at the same time. But notice what Jesus says at the Last Supper. He doesn't say, bread is my body. He says, this is my body. And the term this is not specified until that sacrament, that change, takes place in the words of consecration. And then it's said to be the body of Christ, so there's no contradiction there. But the overall, I think, response to this is that when people mistakenly take Jesus literally, he will correct them. And that's throughout the New Testament. As he did with Nicodemus. Nicodemus thought Jesus was speaking literally. Let's go back and look at chapter 3. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus responds, how can a man be born when he is old? So Nicodemus is taking Jesus literally as he's got to climb back into his mother's womb and be born again. Jesus said, now here Jesus corrects him. He explains, I'm speaking symbolically. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And there's many other instances where people take Jesus literally when he's really speaking figuratively. But when that happens, he does say, hold on a second, I'm not speaking literally, I'm speaking symbolically. But he doesn't do that in John chapter 6. In fact, he ratchets it up the realism. Time and again, you not only have to eat my body, but drink my blood. Truly, truly, indeed, indeed. He just keeps repeating it. He doesn't say you're wrong. Here's how you should interpret it. In fact, when the disciples walk away, he doesn't say, 
come back, let me explain it to you, you're taking this too seriously. He lets them go. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 31 to 34, which was brought up earlier. This is the incident with the woman at the well. Verse 31, Meanwhile the disciples begged him, saying, Rabbi, eat! But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him food? So they're taking him literally. Does Jesus allow them to remain in that misunderstanding? No. Verse 34, Jesus said to them, and here's the explanation, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So when there is a misunderstanding, Jesus corrects the misunderstanding. When people take him literally when they should take him spiritually, he will point that out. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 16, just another example. We don't want to believe the point. Matthew chapter 16, verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they discussed it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. Now they're taking that literally. Right? Jesus is saying, but beware of this, O men of little faith. Why do you discuss among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets you gathered, or the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to perceive that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So there's the explanation. But notice in John chapter 6, he does not give any explanation that I'm speaking symbolically. He just repeats again and again, I'm speaking literally. Now there's another reason why Jesus cannot be speaking spiritually or figuratively in John chapter 6, the second part of the discourse. And this is pointed out by scholars. In the Old Testament, there is actually a figurative interpretation of eating flesh and drinking blood. And it doesn't have a good meaning. Eating flesh and drinking blood is a figure of speech in the Old Testament for destroying, persecuting. So it's got a very negative connotation. For example, and there's many I could give, but just a couple. Psalm 27, verse 2, when evildoers come at me to devour my flesh. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 18 to 20, they devour on the left, but are not satisfied. Each devours his neighbor's flesh. Even in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, we see that as well in chapter 17, verse 16. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. So eating and drinking one's blood usually has reference to one's enemies. It's a pejorative way of saying, I'm going to eat you up and spit you out. So Jesus cannot be speaking symbolically in John chapter 6 when he says you must 
eat my body and drink my blood. He's certainly not inviting us to destroy him. Many other passages, but I think the point's been made. Back to John chapter 6. Let's just finish the chapter. Verse 63, it is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the first who those were that did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. A reference to Judas. Verse 66, After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. Judas, a Judas of his own free will, and it began well, a bit earlier when he was stealing from the common purse, but it really gets ratcheted up when he will not accept Jesus' teaching regarding the Eucharist. And that's when the devil enters him, yes. Good purposes. God does not create evil. He's not the source of evil. He will use bad things to bring good things to bear. Yes, um, Bill? Uh, Jesus, is he all-knowing? Yes. But that knowledge is not... And this is where you get into some real debates with, um, let's say, Calvinist thinking. Calvin would say, Jesus not only knew that Judas would betray him, but Judas was born to betray and was destined for hell. So that double predestination. But it's not Catholic teaching. God wants everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth and will give everyone sufficient grace. But whether everyone cooperates with that grace is another question. That's where free will comes in. But again, that's a big, big mystery and debates galore over that particular issue. Okay, back to chapter 6 of John's Gospel. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples drew back, no longer walked with him. Jesus said to the twelve, now here he's mentioning specifically the twelve, his first bishops, will you also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Here's Peter's confession of faith in John's Gospel. He has that confession of faith in Matthew chapter 16, that famous statement, you are the Christ, when Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? And Jesus says, you are rocking on this rock, I will build my church, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Here, we have another great, great confession of faith by Peter, which is why he's the first pope. I will build my church on Peter, I will give him the keys, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. His answer should be our answer. <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, where else shall we go? Joshua said the same thing, did he not? Joshua said the same thing. It's the two ways. Joshua said, for me and my house, we're going to follow God. Verse 70, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was to betray him. So that's chapter 6. <laughs>
Now let's just take a look quickly. The church fathers immediately saw John chapter 6 and interpreted it as it should be interpreted. So that's, where, that's another great gift that God has given us. The earliest fathers called the apostolic fathers, those who were really close to the events. Here's what some of them says. St. Ignatius of Antioch. Now he's writing about 110. Now John wrote this gospel in the 90s. So this is like within 20 years. And he's the one who was being transported by the Romans all the way to Rome where he would be thrown to the wild beasts. And on the way he writes these seven letters that we have that you should read because they're really excellent letters. He writes to the Smyrnians. Take note of those who hold heterodox opinions on the grace of Jesus Christ which has come to us and see how contrary their opinions are to the mind of God. They abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ, flesh which suffered for our sins and which the Father in his goodness raised up again. In his letter to the Romans, this is one of his seven letters, so he wrote one to the Smyrnians and one to the Romans. This is what he says. I have no taste for corruptible food or for the pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, who was of the seed of David. And for drink, I desire his blood, which is love incorruptible. No question about symbolic figurative language in this early, early bishop. Justin Martyr, he's writing about 130, so again, very, very early. In his apology to the emperor at Rome, written maybe around 150, he says, We call this food Eucharist, and no one is permitted to partake of it, except one who believes our teaching to be true, for not as common bread or common drink do we receive these, but since Jesus Christ our Savior was made incarnate by the word of God and had both flesh and blood for our salvation, we too, as we have been taught, the food which has been made into the Eucharist by the Eucharistic prayer set down by him and by the change of which our blood and flesh is nourished is both the flesh and blood of that incarnate Jesus. So if you read in the Catechism, they quote extensively from Justin Martyr. He goes through, as it's his explanation to the emperor, of what is actually happening at the love feast, which the emperor thought was this carnal travesty. And he sets it out step by step exactly what the Mass is, and it's exactly what we're doing today. So our Mass that we're celebrating today goes all the way back to the very apostolic father. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, and we will close in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of the Eucharist and all the sacraments, the gift of our faith. Help us always to grow in love with you and our neighbor and be that witness that is compelling and draws people into your banquet. We make this prayer through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.